Welcome to the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast, where high-achieving, goal-oriented rebel women come to learn how to live a vibrant and fulfilling life without requiring alcohol to get through it. No labels, no judgments, no saying you'll never drink again, just real proven methods to help you stop rebelling against yourself with alcohol so you can drink less and do more. I'm your host, Angela Masenik. Let's dig in. Welcome to episode 172, interview with Veronica Valley, soberful author. Hello, hello, hello. Ooh, I am so excited about this podcast. Veronica Valley is an author and a sobriety coach, and she just wrote an amazing book that was just launched this year in January called Soberful, Uncover Sustainable, Fulfilling Life Free of Alcohol. And she asked to come on my podcast. Ooh, ooh, feeling kind of special. Thank you so much for coming, Veronica. Her bio reads, Veronica is a formal, former psychotherapist who now works as a sobriety coach with almost 20 years of experience. She has helped thousands of people reach their full potential and live happy, healthy lives by being alcohol-free. She's been the keynote speaker at annual conferences such as Women for Sobriety and is the co-host of her popular Soberful podcast. Learn more at Soberful.com. We'll link up all of the socials for Veronica. You should also go buy her book. It's really, really good, and it supports everything that I talk about, um, getting to the root of why we're over-drinking and all that fun stuff. So it's Soberful, S-O-B-E-R-F-U-L, available on any place where you buy books. I hope you enjoy the episode. Oh, and hey... I'm hosting a wine-free weekend challenge. It's at the end of April, or actually it's in about two weeks. Um, Click through the link, get the date, sign up. But we're going to do this challenge on the weekend, y'all. So before you say no, I don't want to, go click through, sign up, and come join me. Learn some actual tools about how to deal with social situations, the end of the work week type stress and stuff that you normally drink from. Have fun. Be supportive. I'm going to be coming on live every every day during the three days of the Wine Free Weekend Challenge to support you. And there's fun prizes to be won, y'all. So click through and sign up. Okay, talk to you soon. Welcome to the podcast, Veronica. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to be here, Angela. So nice to have you. So I did a little intro before you came on, but why don't you tell the audience, my audience, a little bit about yourself and we can just jump in from there. Yeah, so um, I'm a sober woman. I'm coming up to next month, May 2nd, I'll be 22 years sober. I got sober when I was 27. Um, I formerly a psychotherapist in the UK. Um, I work as a sober coach here in the USA and I've had some books out. Um, one that just came out in January called Soberful, which is my program. And um, yeah, I'm a mom of two boys and uh, I'm married and live, live in Lake Tahoe. Awesome. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about when you were 27 and mm-hmm. you decided to give up alcohol. Like what was happening for you? Like, tell me about your relationship with alcohol a little bit and what happened there. So I never had, I never had a good relationship with alcohol. You know, it's interesting looking back and I look at the culture that I grew up in, not drinking alcohol was never an option. It's just presumed that you do and and I couldn't wait you know I, I just thought it was the gateway to adulthood and excitement and fun I couldn't wait 
So, you know, this is back in the 80s. I was drinking, I was getting into bars and nightclubs at 14 years old because yeah. uh, I, I could look old enough. You know, girls could do that with makeup and high heels. And um, I never drank normally ever. Uh, I mean, I I've, uh, was blackout drunk at 15, lying in gutters, mm -hmm. covered in my own mm -hmm. vomit. Um, I drinking made me very, very, very sick. And you know, this is what's really interesting. I mean, I'm highly allergic to alcohol. Like I, whenever I drink alcohol, I would throw up um, and mm. I would be like ill in bed and be, you know, off for, for several days. But that never, it never occurred to me that I didn't have to do that, that that was kind of crazy. I just thought, you know, well, it's just the, it's just the price of all the fun I'm having. Um, right. And my peer group just reinforced that to me, that this was the best way to have fun. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's just how that was. Um, and I think it too, like for me, you know, similar situations in college, like we're encouraged. Like we're like, heck yeah, look at how much we partied last night, right? Like we celebrated that sometimes. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And it was, you know, on the brink of the 90s when drinking changed for women, it was definitely presented to us as feminism like drinking mm -hmm. like the boys, you know, we, all of that kind of stuff. And I really fully embraced that. So I also did drugs. Um, I did a lot of hallucinogenic drugs. And mm -hmm. I want to say, I always say to people, I had a great time for about two or three years. I mean, there was mm -hmm. always a cost, but I had a great time. And then mm -hmm. at 18, it all went badly wrong. I went into drug induced psychosis. Um, I didn't know that at the time and I couldn't tell anyone. I was suicidal. Um, I had really bad panic attacks. I was paranoid. I had auditory hallucina hallucinations and it, it was really it, terrifying. I mean, it changed overnight and I, it took me a long time to be able to tell anyone or ask for help. And even then I, I was sort of a bit like, I, I, you know, even just saying how I felt, I just thought if I say it, then it's going to be real. Like if I don't say it, maybe it will just go away. So then from 18 to 27, I, my drinking changed very quickly because, and I realize now this is very common. In fact, I don't think I've met anyone who has an alcohol problem and doesn't suffer from some kind of anxiety, but very quickly you make the connection. Like when there's stuff that, you know, like socializing or things you have to deal with, a drink, two drinks would, would make you feel okay. You could deal with that situation. So very quickly, my drinking went from the binge drinking party girl to drinking in secret and drinking to cope. And I remember mm -hmm. being at university when I was about 22 and um, I couldn't sit in lectures because I'd have a panic attack and have to leave and I was failing. So um, in England, you know, I could go down to the student union bar at lunchtime and have like a pint and a half of lager was be enough to get me through the afternoon. But if it was a morning lecture, I was screwed. And I remember having vodka in my Coke bottle and necking it in the toilets at 8.30 a.m. so I could go to a 9 a.m. lecture. And I remember th having thinking, this isn't right. Like, this isn't right. <laughs> you know, who does this right. on a Tuesday morning at 8.30? And I remember thinking, this is what alcoholics do. And I thought, well, I'm not an alcoholic because I'm not enjoying it. And alcoholics enjoy it. And that was my rationalization. Right. And, and so I, I drank to cope with my anxiety and I looked for help everywhere. I went to a lot of, prof I went everywhere, professionals, churches, you name it, anywhere. I just was so desperate for peace. Mm -hmm. I was so mm -hmm. desperate to feel safe and to be free of anxiety. And um, eventually um, 
I met someone when I was 27 who was sober in AA and I never knew that was a thing and was like, wow, you could be sober. Like that's the thing people do. And yeah. that kind of planted some seeds and I eventually, eventually stopped drinking. I really, I was very, I didn't really know. It wasn't hugely a conscious choice. I wasn't like a long-term thing. I was just for today. I wasn't right. sure. And then I just began to feel better and then things began to kind of click. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't like go into it at that time to be like, I'm going to give up alcohol forever. No, I never, I thought my problem, I knew I had a problem and I thought my problem was a rare mental health condition that nobody else on the planet had only me. I didn't mm. I, Now I, I, I'd stopped using all drugs when I had went into drug induced psychosis, but in the last like two or three years of my drinking, I'd started using cocaine and ecstasy. And I knew I shouldn't use cocaine. Like cocaine brought me to my knees. Like, in fact, I actually think without cocaine, I would have still drunk for another 10 years. It just screwed my serotonin. It finished me off. I was, it, I was a wreck. Um, so I knew that cocaine's not a good idea, but I just thought you have to manage alcohol. And like, I just thought that's what you did. I didn't ever know that that was a, an option to not drink. So I just thought I just have to manage it and all of these you know i was i felt like i was sleepwalking i was you know beginning to i'd enrolled in a course and i was learning about different things and then things just began and i was really on the fence i think for about three or four months and i started going to 12-step meetings because there was nothing else back then this was 2000 mm -hmm. and i didn't relate didn't identify didn't really feel that it was for me until i heard a man a middle-aged man talk about fear and the way that fear had always governed his life and how mm. fear he drank because of, of fear. And I, that was like my kind of light bulb moment. Cause I, I thought I was the only person in the whole world who had ever felt that way. And when yeah. it was revealed and then I was like, Oh my God, I'm so unoriginal. I'm like, and everybody's like, yeah, I feel the same way. I'm like, really? Oh my God. Wow. And it was such a relief to know yeah. that I was, that I um, was not the only person who felt like that. It was such yeah. a relief. And um, I, I, I was like, uh, and then, you know, people start saying there's a solution to that. You have to do the 12 steps. And I was just like, sign me up. I, I'll, I'll do anything, anything to feel better and feel normal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, it sounds like that was a good decision for you, <laughs> right? Like it's been 20 years. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a journey and I've done lots of other things. Therapy, I've read, read, you know, everything I worked. I want to say the first five years I worked. I mean, it's never stopped, but the first five years in particular, I worked really hard on myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I had a similar situation. So I found my sobriety through life coaching. And I think for me, it was more of that gray area drinker. And, but I suffered with that for 20 fucking years. So I didn't, you know, I started early, late teens through college, heavy drinking, partying, and then getting more to professional life, like using alcohol at the end of the day and wine to escape the anxiety. I mean, again, there's mm -hmm. the anxiety and the overwhelm and the tools that I found with life coaching, which is like basically how to feel your feelings, right? Like naming your feelings, identifying your feelings, pausing and processing them, right? And change, looking at how you're thinking about things in your life. Like those tools helped me so much, but and now I've been sober for almost four years. 
And, but in the past year is where I feel like I've done even more deeper work. Like I've been seeing a psychotherapist and like, that's more of like the recovery for me. So it's kind of like, I got the alcohol out of the way and then like really like the patterns and the old shit to why I was probably drinking in the first place. Now I'm actually healing that. So it's a different journey for everybody for sure. But I agree that it'll never end. Like, I think it's fascinating now. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's for me, growth. It, the growth ne yeah. never ends. More is revealed, you know. we Yeah. Uh, because you, you realize when you get sober, like alcohol was a symptom. You know, I had real issues in, in romantic relationships and around attachment yeah. and abandonment, you know, so that all needed to be worked through, really low self-confidence. You know, there was just a lot of stuff that had never, I, I was just, like I said, I was sleepwalking through my life. I wasn't yeah. growing, wasn't developing and, mm -hmm. and alcohol, you get rid of alcohol and then all of that stuff comes up and it's an invitation to do that work, which I think some people feel scared of. I certainly probably did at the beginning. I know I did, but now I just embrace it because I just know that growth leads, leads to just more awesome stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That was actually one of the things I wanted to talk about. I wrote down. So you have a, a section in your book called the pillar of growth. And, you know, for me to paraphrase this, I'd love to hear mm -hmm. your direct thoughts about it. But basically, it's like your capacity for feeling uncomfortable and mm. to challenge yourself, right? And like working through that. So talk a little bit about the pillars of growth. Yeah, the pillar of growth is the fifth pillar of sobriety. And it's we, we all have the call to growth. Like as long as you have breath in your body, you're being called to grow. Um, you know, as a mother or as a, you know, as a wife, as a, a coach, as a human being, as a woman, we're being called to grow. And, and that's delicious because it can be exciting and mm -hmm. all kinds of things. But it's also always going to be a bit scary and we're also going to resist it a bit. You know, it's really interesting. Um, I don't ever I don't think about alcohol. I mean, like I think about alcohol because of my job, but I don't personally right. like think about not drinking or, or alcohol. It just doesn't exist yeah, in my yeah. world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have alcohol in my house for people who come for dinner, want to have a glass of wine. It just, I don't even notice it. Um, a few months before my book came out, I think it was about three or four months before my book came out, I started noticing alcohol. And I'd, I'd never, mm -hmm. like, after the second or third time, I'm like, hang on a minute. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm just kind of like, that looks nice. Yeah, that looks refreshing. Gosh, what will that taste like? I'm not going to have any, but, and I, after a little while, I'm like, what's that? Like, hang on a minute. Like, this isn't normal. What's going on? Mm -hmm. And then I finally spoke to someone about it. And I realized what it was, was an upper limit. The, the book mm -hmm. release was getting really, really close and lots of things were happening. You know, it was going to be, it was a new thing. Like, I've, oh. you know, I've done a hundred interviews. And I, and I kind of started thinking, gosh, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be something if I relapse now? <laughs> wouldn't that be something? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and when I, re when I had that thought, I thought, oh my gosh, this is an upper limit. You are growing into somebody mm. who has a book out and that's new, even though you want that, there's something a bit scary about it. And as soon as I had that realization, mm. I stopped having these little fantasies. But I thought it was really yeah. interesting in that that's what happens is, you know, we want to do a thing like we want to do a thing. We want to do it. And then we get to the edge of it and then we start going, whoa, right. whoa. we start because the ego starts getting making us feel uncomfortable and 
do we really want the thing and do we really want to change so we're, we're constantly going to be in that process and for mm -hmm. me it helped enormously knowing that what was happening in that process like knowing this was a call to growth knowing this was going to feel uncomfortable but also knowing i could get through it that that things would change that i'd be glad that i kind of buckled down and did whatever it was so it, mm -hmm. it's really it's really interesting and we don't you know we all of us will have moments where we get the call to growth and we get to the edge and go Ooh, i know i've done it but it, it but the thing is that will often come around again that call yeah and i think it's interesting too like when it does come around again we are our brain is often triggered to go into old comforting patterns right and mm -hmm. for you even though it's been 20 years mm -hmm. your brain's like hmm Ooh, what would that be like right just because yeah. it's an old it's still there but like you've done so much work on it that it's still like hmm, i wonder if that might help her <laughs> right yeah and it was only for a few weeks and uh yeah. like i was i was made the joke a couple of times like oh, wouldn't it be funny like you know that would be something right. you know and then I, well yeah it, it's really interesting how the subconscious mind works in trying to keep us in in just not moving from where we are in whatever way yeah. it can yeah so good. All right. So I had another thing I wanted to talk to you about. So um, let me see here. So the bandwidth, right? So like our emotional bandwidth that mm. you talk about, you compared it to 2G mm. Wi-Fi. Mm. I thought it was so brilliant. Can you, let me read that part um, in the book, actually. Let's see. That's on page 32. Hold on. So you write, the biggest price I see people pay is their precious bandwidth. Alcohol costs us scope and breath. It costs us energy, resources, and time. And we have to decide if our relationship with alcohol is worth that loss. Going through life without full access to this bandwidth is like having to put up with 2G internet. I mean, it works, but the video and downloads are slow and pictures don't load. It's frustrating that we can do some things, but not everything the way we want. But for some reason, we put up with it because it hasn't occurred to us yet that we don't have to drink, that we could actually live our entire lives not drinking and be completely fulfilled and happy with access to 100% of our bandwidth. I love that. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it, it's really... You, I, I think sometimes we ask the wrong question. You know, I, I see this a lot. Like, is drinking that bad? Is it really that bad? You know, it's yeah. not like I'm... You know, and that's the question that people ask themselves. And I would always reverse that and, and said, you know, well, is this good enough for you? Is this, are you happy with, yes. you know, the hangovers and the kind of embarrassment about the things you said at the weekend and the just mm -hmm. feeling a bit down for heart? Like, is that good enough? Because it completely changes your perspective of it. And we, we, in our culture, we have been, I think, conditioned to think that an alcohol problem is, you know, an alcohol problem is someone who's homeless, basically, you know, homeless. Right. Like you're in the gutter, you're in the gutter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone else who looks like you and me, Angela, mm -hmm. who drinks, we're fine. Like, we're fine. Mm -hmm. We'll do dry January every so often, we're fine. And I actually think it's the reverse that's true. I think it's, and, and people, we have, the, the cost of drinking has been deliberately, very deliberately obscured very differently mm -hmm. and and that with that messaging of there's just a few people who just can't handle it they're alcoholics they can't ever drink again poor you know but everyone else can manage it so one of the costs is our bandwidth and it's like when you kind of take a step back and and think about your life 
and the finite amount of time that you have and, and the people in it. Do you really want to waste your time having an argument with yourself about whether you're going to drink tonight or not? Or whether you're worrying about whether people are thinking about your drinking or should you just have two glasses or should you have a night off? Like that's such a pointless, meaningless waste of our time and energy, yet we put a lot of time and energy into thinking about drinking and thinking about not drinking. And that's bandwidth. Yeah. And my experience has been when people get sober, they get access to this magic bandwidth, which is en energy and uh, space to think thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that's where our extraordinariness is that, that we yeah. you and because you can do you can do a lot with 70% bandwidth, you can have a high flying career and a family and all those kind of things on. So on the outside, everything looks good. But what you can't do is emotionally grow the way that you're capable of and going back to growth, that emotional growth is the biggest gift that you can possibly imagine. I could not agree more. I mean, the amount of time that I spent planning my drinks, picking mm. out the best wine that I wanted to have, I was such a wine snob that like I would go to a party or at a restaurant I'd be like I don't know if they're gonna have it. so I would like go bring it you know go shop for it go pick it up go bring it myself take it to the party figure out how I was gonna get home right like and then deal with not waking up on time slogging my week if it was on the weekend forget about it. I had to plan I actually would plan to be hungover and to not do anything until at least noon so like talk about it time and energy suck right and right, like I, pl I just, planning I to be hungover I know it's insane, right? right? Like, yeah. but when you're in it, it's just like this, like what you were saying about with your youth, right? It's like, you didn't, that's just what you did. Of course, I'm going to be hungover. I'm drinking. It's Friday night, you know? Yeah. So like now that that's not in my life, right? And you know this too, because you've created this, this book, like your business, everything. There's just so much more capacity. I have better relationships. I make more money. I have so, uh, you know, everything around my life externally and internally is, is better. And I just think if people knew what is possible and they could actually see what would be possible in their lives, they would be willing to do that work. But some people can't even get out of that. What, what do you want to say to people that like what is yeah. like the one thing that you want to say to people that might be willing for them to be open to exploring it? You know, my purpose is really to come and smash those belief systems. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the belief system is, is that alcohol is the best way to have fun, excitement, belonging and connection. And um, that's a perception, not a reality. Now, I, I want to say it's you can drink and have fun and excitement and belonging connection and relax and reward yourself. But there's always a cost. You know, yeah. uh, there's new research coming out about um, uh, the link to breast cancer and women. And it's really like two or three glasses a week. W yeah. will significantly raise it uh, beyond 20%. So, and I think a lot of people will be shocked that it's, you know, I think most people think two or three glasses of wine is nothing, but actually that's mm -hmm. a lot. And we'll, so that's a cost. And it's like, are you prepared to t pay that cost? I want to smash the belief system that um, alcohol equals fun and sober equals boring. And that, um, oh, poor us, you know, we're just like missing out like just living this boring. and we're deprived and we miss oh, it all the time deprived. and we want it all the time right yeah, and like we're we so deprived <laughs> like that that is the biggest lie that has ever yeah. been told but it, i mean it does it feels very true when i stopped drinking at 27 
I 100% thought my life was over, 100%. At 27, my peer group was going out every weekend and getting wasted. And I was like, it's so unfair. They're having such a great time. And it's, you know, I'm just, and I want to say at the beginning, there was some boring nights because there was a big adjustment, but it's all about perspective because two or three years down the road, I would see those people and go, oh, that looks awful. (laughs) That really doesn't look like fun. And, you know, you look terrible the next day. And, and I was going out, I was going to concerts and nightclubs and festivals and, and having a great time and dancing and socializing. So it, it feels very, very true, but I want people to know it's a perception and with a little bit of time and a little bit of effort, your perception can shift massively. And that's why people like you and me are so passionate about sobriety. Cause it's like, oh my God, who knew, right? Who like, wow. It's like the, I like how it's like the biggest lie ever, right? Is like that mm. being sober is boring. That was my biggest fear. I think it's a lot of my clients' biggest fears. Like, I don't want to be boring. I don't want to be left out. What am yes. I going to do? It's the number right? one thing. It's yeah. Like, yeah. It's just like, and that I think is that upper limiting thing. Like as you are like, okay, you recognize there's an issue and you want to change it, right? And then your brain comes in and it's like, hey, you know, you might be boring. And then that's like enough of a fear to like stop us from doing it. And yeah, and and, and then it goes it, back to the like, willingness to to lean into that, and like it's okay to be bored once in a while. Like it's not really a problem if you're bored or if your life looks a little boring for a couple of months. While you figure that out, so it's okay. Um, yeah, yeah. and it, then you have the thing. I don't know if you've had that when I'd be like, you see drunk people, think, God, they're boring. <laughs> so boring. Well, this, is this is what I say all the time. I'm like, I think over drinking is boring. It's the same patterns over and over and over again. Like how off, how long are you going to keep doing that same thing? Oh, say you're not going to do it, do it. Say you're not going to do yeah. it, do it. Be yeah. hungover, be sloppy, yeah. overeat yeah. all the crap food. That's fucking boring. Yeah. And <laughs> What's that- not boring is on the other side, right? It's like when you're living your life, like, you know, I flew to LA for two days for 48 hours this past week, danced my ass off, met all these new people, networked, had fun, got a little sunburn, flew home in time for my birthday. Like, that's not fucking boring. Yeah. You know, I never would have done that. I would never would have put myself there. Or I would have drank on the plane, something crazy, right? Like, not remembered at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the ones I hear a lot is about going on vacation. Like, oh, but I'm going on vacation. And, you know, like margarita by the beach. And and it's like, I mean, we have a timeshare we go to with my kids. And I see the people who drink. And it's just, you know, they look really hungover, to, you know. And then they start yeah. drinking in the afternoon, hair of the dogs, they're on vacation. And then they go out to the bars and that's what they do. And I'm, I'm just going to say, we don't. It's not like we do a whole lot. Uh, we're just like the pool and the beach with the kids. But it, it's like I've been on vacations and I've been like, God, I've been missing out. You know, we get up early, yeah. we go and do stuff. What, you know, we're hiking, we're doing this, we're, doing, we're so busy. And just alcohol ruins all of that. It's all about perception, um, yeah. about what we think it brings us and we ignore mm-hmm. the cost. And yeah, my mission is to really kind of expose that. And it, it, it's unco- it makes people uncomfortable, I know it does. When I've mm-hmm. done, I've done, done a lot of press interviews and I found it so interesting working with like TV and news outlets and nobody, nobody wants to hear the message that you can have more fun sober and it's better. Nobody wants to hear that message. They, they say to my like uh, publicist, like, well, could she come on and give tips for cutting down? Like just some tips for, 
And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah I, I can't. Think it's like these, some of these outlets are like paid for by alcohol companies too. Mm -hmm. So like they don't want to like burn their, you know, their bread and butter. And so I face the same thing when I'm trying to like advertise or something like that in some network. And it's like, well, I can't advertise in the Delta Sky Lounge because we're promoting our free drinks. And so we yeah. don't want you coming in and saying, yeah. like, stop over drinking because yeah. we also have that balance. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But it's, it's the, you know what it is? It's the emperor's new clothes. That's what it is. No, yeah. nobody wants to be told the emperor is naked. They don't want to hear yeah. like la 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 la. Stick their head. No, 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 don't. Yeah. Just tips for cutting. Like, and and um, I'm like, no, yeah, emperor's naked and pretty ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. great big belly. <laughs> yes. Um, talk about halt a mm. little bit. So halt is the hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. I love this. Yeah, so that's in the chapter about balance. And uh, mm -hmm. that's one of the things that, that you have to learn in sobriety is about balance, is balancing your needs. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't even know how to recognize I had needs or how to balance them. And HALT is a really good place to start in that those are very immediate needs and they also have a very immediate impact on our sobriety if we don't take mm -hmm. care of them. So, you know, hunger, obviously, it, it, we have to eat but it's about what we eat and when we eat but it's also kind of i think recognizing what the hunger is for is it just for food or is it for something else um you know anger that's just going to fuel a resentment and resentment is the free drunk um that's what people with an alcohol problem want more than anything is a free drunk which is mm -hmm. you know my boss has pissed me off on tuesday and i'm just like so feel like such you know it's so unfair and it's just not right and da -da 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 -da. That by Friday, I'm like, fuck it. Yeah, I will come to happy yeah. hour. I just don't like, if you'd had the week I'd had, and, and it's not right. my, like, I'll have a drink. It's not, not my fault. It's my boss's fault. What he said on Tuesday, that's the free drunk. And right. we, we love that. So I, I, it's not that we can't get angry. It's what we do with it. And I, my experience is, I think one of the biggest things that people struggle with in alcohol problem is loneliness. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, we have an epidemic of loneliness um, and it, uh, for me, that was my, the, the biggest thing. I was so lonely, so lonely mm -hmm. when I was drinking and I wasn't, I always had people to drink with. I just felt so disconnected from myself, just so lonely. And, mm -hmm. um, and that continued into early sobriety because I just, everything stopped and changed. And there was times in the beginning that it was boring and I was lonely and, and that's where sobriety groups made all the difference for me. Like I just had, you know, having a whole weekend with no plans was, was terrifying for me. So I'd go to 12 step meetings and then I'd make a few friends and then we'd go for coffee and then there'd be a movie trip. And, and that's how my life started, you know, from there, my life grew to, you know, I can't remember the last time I was lonely, but I think we have to be purposeful and work on that. People are not going to just show up at our door and go, Oh, you look nice. Come out. You know, we have to show up consistently and let people know us. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think tired, you know, I, I, it's not, you know, just kind of alcohol screws up our body chemistry so badly, just getting enough sleep. And, you, uh, I, I was a workaholic, I've definitely gone into workaholism and, uh, burnout and getting too tired mm -hmm. and, and listening to my body, you know, the, all of this is about listening to our bodies. And I never listened yeah. to my body when I was drinking, I was cut off from it just cut off. Yeah. Yeah. 
And those are just like triggers, right? The mm. the hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Like I think mm. for that really resonated with me. It's like if you can recognize that, even if you're not super in tune with how you feel or mm. you don't feel super connected to yourself, which we don't when we're mm. going through this, right? You can recognize all of these things pretty easily, mm. right? And so like recognizing when you are super tight, if you didn't sleep well tonight, that, that could be a trigger for me to drink. Or if you're lonely yeah. or hungry, yeah. like how does this show up in my patterns? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I want to actually go back to something you said that was really interesting about that you always had the fine wine and you went and bought the fine wine. Mm -hmm. That's a really common disguise for an mm -hmm. alcohol problem. That's one of the yeah. most common disguises. Like, uh, no, no, I, I only drink fine wine. <laughs> I don't right. have a problem. I only drink the best wine. When you were picky about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like you care too much about it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a really, it's a really common disguise. So yeah. I, I was on a, I was talking to a doctor uh, a while ago who, um, we were on a TV show and she kind of launched into an hour of explaining to me why she didn't have a drink problem because she has lots of clients in Napa and she only has wine from their vineyard, but her drinking did creep up a little bit over the lockdown and she did mention to her son that she was going to stop for a bit and they laughed at her and said you'll never do that mum and then we were on this tv show and she was talking about um she was quite happy quite happy that if her clients have two glasses of wine a night and i was just like horrified i'm like two glasses of wine for women every night is a hell of a lot of alcohol and as a doctor well you should know will significantly increase your chances of getting uh, colon or breast cancer. But that's mm -hmm. the kind of, like you just reminded him, like how we disguise our yeah, drinking. Like, and that's a common it? one. Yeah, for sure. I got married in a freaking winery in Sonoma. <laughs> you know, I lived in San Francisco. You know, we had easy access to that stuff. And we had mm -hmm. wine club memberships and we were into it. Like it was a hobby mm -hmm. of mine. And like I entertained clients and you know what I mean? I thought it was fancy and bougie and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. And mm. it's just like, you know, we compare it to like if it was in a whiskey glass and if it was brown, it mm -hmm. would not be like that, right? Like it would mm. be a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. Like drinking whiskey in the morning with your eggs mm. versus drinking champagne in the morning with your eggs, right? It's still alcohol. Yeah, it's just it's... so glamorized, right? And we think it's organic and all that bullshit and all that. You post a lot about that stuff, like the healthier wines and things. It's just bullshit. Total bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, we, oh my God. Don't even get me started on clean wine. Oh, uh -huh. I, every time I see it, I try and de deconstruct it. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the market, the manipulative marketing around that, like it's organic. There's no pesticides. Our grapes have been raised by fairies. Like, <laughs> like it's like, it no, it's like, it not the problem. The worst thing, worst thing you can put in your body is ethanol. The worst thing. Yeah. It still has ethanol in it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that plays, I think, on a lot of women who, you know, like the whole yoga and wine thing. Oh, it makes me want to throw up. It's like, no, it's, never were two things are, never meant to be put together. No, we are marketed to, I feel like alcohol and wine is the new sex. Like before, mm. like maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it's like we make marketing sexy with bodies and women and sex appeal mm. right and now it's about alcohol we add alcohol to all the tv shows all the commercials mm. all the marketing for anything that we want to do small businesses women empowerment we slap a glass of wine in there and now it's cool and mm. sexy mm. right it's just it's weird like i think we all need to remember mm. that we are constantly being marketed to and we're so influenced 
Like we're humans. We want to be a part of the crowd. We want to be cool. We want to be connected. And when we see these messages, it makes it really confusing for people. Like, well, and we don't, it's not conscious, right? We're not constantly like, that's a marketing message. That's a marketing message, unless you're like us, right? Mm. But like the normal people that are struggling with this, they see that and they're like, well, my problem's not bad enough, Mm. right? Like going back to like, I think sometimes the gray area drinking is even worse than being at the bottom because you can stay there for so long and waste years of your life. I, gray area drinking, what I want to say about that is culturally, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around it where mm-hmm. I'm sort of like, mm, sometimes I feel it's a bit too much of a euphemism. It's like, you can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't, you know, it's like, <laughs> It, it is. It's a sort of euphemism for that kind of middle class. I only drink clean, fine wine. I do yoga. Like, what's the problem type thing? And it's like, I think when you scratch the surface and see how you feel, how people feel underneath, it's actually the same as how someone feels, whether they're drinking like every day and every morning, the self-loathing, mm-hmm. the fear, the anxiety, the constant kind of all of that stuff. I don't think how they feel inside is actually that different yeah but we mask it right and then we can like i think if it doesn't look externally how it might look for somebody who's drinking in the morning or Mm. really is struggling outwardly right but Mm. we mask it with these things we can keep that problem going for longer Mm. right like we can go decades of living that life without getting help yeah 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 i agree okay so one other thing i wanted to talk about was processing the past Mm-hmm. So you talk a little bit about that in the book. Um, I don't know what page that is on. But talk to me a little bit about that. So I think a lot of people are scared of that. Like they want to just like focus on in the future and like not really digging into the past. But obviously our patterns are created for yeah. a reason, right? And you talk a little bit about little traumas and everybody by reaching a certain age has experienced some form of trauma in their life. Mm-hmm. So let's just dive into that for a couple of minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. That, there is, uh, people will say, you know, I don't want to break over the past. The past shows up in our present every day. Every day mm-hmm. in our behavior and our feelings and how we respond to the world. So it's really, I reframe it, it's really about understanding ourselves so we can be free. It, it, mm-hmm. It's, I think everybody has some kind of wound from childhood or when they were younger that needs some attention and some healing. Um, I think it's understanding why we respond the way we do to the world, why we feel the way we do, how, why we act. Um, and it's just an, another way to get to, to get free. You know, we, I spent, I, I try to numb and run. You know, I put all my effort and energy into numbing and running. And then I discovered that actually working through it re- was easier and required less effort and was less painful than the numbing and the running. So, yeah. Uh, for me, you know, it's it's honoring our past selves. You know, when I look back at not just my childhood, but certainly when I was a young woman drinking and how awful I felt then and some of the things that happened to me, like I really, she really deserves some time and energy to to be honored and and those feelings to be validated. A lot of it is about validating mm-hmm. our feelings. So, um it does feel scary, but the reality of actually, of it is actually far less than the thought of it. And it's really, 
it, it's so that I can be free of the stuff that has really kind of limited me and that the good mm -hmm. stuff from my past I can take and the stuff that doesn't serve me, I can let go of. You know, I have, a two, I have two boys. They're quite young, 10 and seven. And I thought when I had my first one that I was absolutely going to be a perfect mother because I knew so much about emotional intelligence, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, much to my surprise, I started parenting like my mother. And that was mm -hmm. the last thing I wanted to do. And I was, I would had behaviors that I was really unhappy with. So I had to unpick that and change it. And, and still, despite everything I know, all my self-awareness, I know that there's going to be some stuff that we give to our kids that's going to be unhelpful to them. And I want, I'm, yeah. I'm going to tell them that when they're young men, I'm going to say, you may have picked up some thought or behavior patterns from us that we didn't mean to give you that are not helpful to you. And the work of adulthood is to unpick them and get rid of them so that you, you don't get limited by them. Yeah, I love that. And, and I have three kids and they're young too, 12, 10 and eight. Yeah. <laughs> so it's right in the thick of it, right? It's like, yeah. here we go. <laughs> and you I know, see it's... that it's, Sorry, go uh, no, no, it's just something to, um, to, I'm glad I have the skills, right? And I have the resources to get to work through some of that. Um, but what you wrote in the book was like, these were, um, some of these patterns that you can uncover about yourself, like what's wrong with me or it's my fault, right? Some of these are like, mm. you know what I mean? Like some of those very common belief systems that we all adapt at some point as children, right? And we carry that with us in our adult lives. And I just love what you wrote. It's like, we're just programmed incorrectly. Like mm. we just, everybody reacts to things differently, especially as children. Like we don't know what thing we're going to say as mothers today that will leave an imprint on our children forever, unfortunately. Like we can't, we can't figure that out because everybody is different, right? So some, some comment or something that was said to me as a child, I made that meant that I was wrong and it was my fault. And so that just became this very ingrained belief system so that anything sort of sticky or uncomfortable, somebody pushes back on me, oh, I've done something wrong, right? So like for me to uncover that through therapy and like, digging that up and processing that is so helpful because now I don't have to take action from that place. I don't have to live in yeah. shame and yeah. like spin out and like second guess myself and all that shit. I can be like, Oh, there's my pattern again. I can process and breathe through that and mm -hmm. make the best, next best decision. Right. And I do agree with you that it's like that, that kid back then didn't get a chance to, didn't have those tools to process feelings or our parents didn't know how to tell us how to do that or whatever. Right. And now it's our responsibility as adults to do that for ourselves so we can live the best life that we can. Yeah. Um, so it's otherwise we're just very, we're, we're kind of running on autopilot. So yeah. if, my mother, my mother's primary purpose in life is to be frightened about things and to warn mm -hmm. you about the things she's frightened about that could happen that could go wrong. And uh, I always had a big, you know, that was very difficult for me to deal with because I always felt like <gasps> all the time. Right. And so I, I think in my past I've been quite reckless. And then um, a few years ago, my best friend pointed out to me, she said, we were having a conversation about something. And she said, Veronica, you can catastrophize things quite a lot. Mm. And I, she said it and I heard it. And I was mm. like, as soon as I heard it, I could see it. And I was like, oh, she's mm. right. I do, I do, I do that. I kind of do, but what if, what if? And, and, 
and I, I know, and I knew where that came from. And as soon as she said it, and I could see it, it's something that I'm, I think I still do, can go into it sometimes, but I'm much more aware of it, of like, this is just, you kind of go down this road and it's not helpful. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, that's gross, that's processing the past. It's like something was revealed to me and I can begin to let go of it because it's not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And don't you, aren't you glad that you know that about yourself though? Mm -hmm. Like you yeah. recognize that you can, yeah. you can see it or you're conscious of it. You can, you can kind of be like, okay, that's not, ha there's, there's no threat here. Yeah. I'm safe. Like, you know, it's okay. And like you, it just helps you move through life easier, I think. And yeah. it doesn't stop you from doing some of the bigger things and go yeah. after your dreams and goals that you have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, cool. Well, those are my major points I wanted to come across. Anything else you want my listeners to know? How do people get in contact with you? How do they follow you? So I'm on Instagram, Veronica J Valley, and my website is soberfull.com, and you can find the book at all of the outlets. It's Soberfull. Um, I have a Facebook group called Soberfull as well. Awesome. Well, cool. Any final comments, things you want people to know? No, I, it's been great, Angela. I really enjoyed this conversation and um, that you have the same perspective as me. And I just, I want people to know that, it, that, that sobriety and drinking is just about perspective. That's all that is. It's, it's about changing how we see things. And when we see things, we feel differently and we act differently. I love it. Thank you so much, Veronica. Thank you. Wasn't that so good? Thank you again, Veronica, for coming on the podcast. And don't forget, y'all to sign up for the wine free weekend challenge. The link is in the show notes. Talk to y'all soon. Bye.